This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. At what point does life become unfair? Is it during teenage years? Older? Younger? For Pauline, life always seems to be unfair. There are girls prettier than her. They're more outgoing than her. There are people who live a lifestyle that she can only dream about. Life hands them all that they can dream of, and she is stuck in a home that is less than compared to her best friend, Juliet. Life gives her a bone bringing these two girls together. Pauline gets a taste of what life could look like if her parents worked harder, gave her more, even accepted her no matter what. Instead, Pauline has a mother so strict she can barely stand to be around her. The Humes are now seeing her as being something sinister in their daughter's life. And a doctor evaluated her at the assistance of Dr. Hume and labored her as a possible homosexual. The boy she loves, she can't have, for he's far too old for her, and the demands of a relationship will pull her attention away from the friendship with the only girl who ever really cared for her. Is it possible that she's capable of loving Juliet the same way she loves her older boy? What is it about Pauline and Juliet that drew them together? Why was their bond so protected by the both of them? Was it all because life is unfair? Was its importance because neither one felt as though they had nothing more than the other person? We can ask, but to know all the answers would mean that life is fair. That it gives us what we want when we want it. Instead, we get the gist of it. And we're left to decipher what everyone's point of view is, put it together, and maybe, just maybe, we'll come out with what actually happened. We're left to choose our own path and how we get to the ending. It's an ending that is inevitable no matter which path you choose to believe. Welcome to the True Crime Librarian. I'm your librarian and host, Ashley, and tonight we continue on in a case where best-selling author Anne Perry was on the front page of newspapers along with her friend at the time, Pauline Parker, 
when the pair decided to murder Honor a Reaper, all in an effort to force the hands of both parents and letting Pauline travel away with Juliet. What they didn't count on was their plan not being believable. But to understand the whole story, we must first understand what took place in the weeks and months leading up to the murder, and in it, we find moments that show us just how Pauline decided that life is unfair and how her mother was the root of it all. Warning, this episode contains details of sex and adult language. Listener's discretion is advised. If any of this may be too much for you, please skip this episode or have someone listen with you or for you. Good evening, my true crime nerds. We have just a smidge to get to tonight before we get started. And of course, it begins with sharing is caring. So share TTCL with your loved ones, with those you work with, with other true crime nerds like yourself. This is truly the only way TTCL gets out there. The more people that tune in, the more it's guaranteed that I can keep bringing you cases you really want to hear. So follow, subscribe, review, share, comment, and everything in between. Don't forget you can listen to this episode and other episodes ad-free over on Patreon. This is a great way to listen to each episode without interruption, not to mention you will help support the show. Currently in work of getting all the audio from previous episodes and seasons up on Patreon, so bear with me as I'm still working on building up what I would like this page to be. You can always just go over to the truecrimelibrarian.com and support the show there. You can also look for merch. And if you'd like to shoot a message over to me, you can do so all from the website. Okay, let's get to what you all came here for, the true crime. So last week I introduced you both to the Hume and Parker slash Reaper families and how Juliet and Pauline's friendship flourished once the Humes made the move to New Zealand. Tonight we're going to follow that friendship from an innocent relationship into a deadly one. In 1953, Dr. Hume asked to was asked to represent the university at the 1953 Congress of Universities of the British Commonwealth in London. Well, since Hilda caught wind of of Henry going back to England, and since none of them had been back since their move five years earlier, the couple made plans to return to England. 
give Henry the time to do his due diligence, and then they would also travel to the United States. And they would do so without the accompaniment of their two children. Their son was easy. He could be boarded at Medbury, but Juliet posed a slight hitch. Where would Juliet go? Well, right before this, the date that Hilda and Henry were set to sell out on, Nora decided that maybe she could help them out. Maybe she could help out the Humes. This would be returning some of the gratitude of the way that they had treated Pauline over the past few years. And so she went to Hilda and invited Juliet to come and stay with them while her parents were gone for three months from the island. And at this time, neither set of parents had great concerns about the two girls and their friendship. And, but the headmistress was still kind of having her own reservations. But neither Bert or Nora were concerned about where these two girls' friendship was going just yet. For Hilda and Henry, they could not have asked for anything more perfect than this arrangement, so they quickly agreed. However, on May 15, 1953, things changed. Juliet was sent away to live in warmer climates when she was younger from her home in England. This was prior to the move before New Zealand. Remember, she had contracted pneumonia, and physicians said that her living in a warmer climate would help her with her decreased lung capacity. And so they sent her off and, and Juliet lived away from her parents for nearly five years before the move to New Zealand. And now here she is in a warmer climate and she ends up being diagnosed with tuberculosis. Now I know last week that I talked about this debate, whether Juliet had pneumonia or TB, and there was very little for me to see which, you know, where the difference lied. Well, since the airing of that episode, my research this week has been figuring out why there has been this, this switcheroo going on between either pneumonia or tuberculosis. I know many of you are probably like, who gives a shit? Well, I do. <laughs> okay, because it them living where they're living is very pertinent to this whole story and where it will go and why these two girls decide that murdering Pauline's mother was the best option. Here we are, May 15th, 1953, and Juliet has been diagnosed with tuberculosis. And so I can see where the confusion came up between whether or not she got TB when they lived in England or would it be years later. However, having issues with pneumonia and, and being prescribed a warmer climate for her living environment. That's one thing. But now that she has TB, this really exacerbates everything. And it's further demands that Juliet stay in warmer climates as the cold could only progressively get, make things worse for her. Now with TB in 1953, it's fairly curable. Well, I say curable. We can put it into um, hibernation, basically. If you know, if any of you have any medical background, you know that once you contract TB, you will test positive for TB almost exclusively, whether or not it's active or latent. For Juliet, at this time, it was very active and 
This diagnosis was not ideal for anyone. Neither Henry or Hilda let it change their plans, however. They were going to continue on their trip. And on May 21st of 1953, Juliet was admitted to the Kashmir Sanatorium for treatment. Like I said, tuberculosis saw a huge decrease in mortality in the 50s, somewhere close to around the, the percentage of 90%. So only 10% of those who contracted TB and showed active signs were losing their lives because this was so treatable with antibiotics. It's no longer a life-threatening diagnosis. So why would Hilda and Henry, you know, put their plans on hold for their daughter? Seems to be pretty uh, selfish, if you ask me, but whatever. When Pauline found out that her best friend had been diagnosed with TB, she would, and that she was no longer going to be staying with the Reapers while her parents were away, Pauline went to her journal and she thought, you know, maybe life could be wonder wonderful if she too could contract the illness. And then the two of them would be housed at the sanatorium together as they as they received treatment. However, this didn't work out. Pauline never came down with TB. The plan foiled, you know, but still you wonder why would she say something like this? Why, you know, why would you think maybe if I catch TB, something that had been deadly for many, many years prior to, you know, the development of different types of antibiotics, why would you wish that upon yourself, even if you did want to see your friend? I could get that to a certain degree. But when you're living in an era where that was a deadly disease not 10 years before, a little concerning. However, nothing ever came of it. Pauline never like actively went over there and tried to catch TB from Juliet. None of that actually happened. And when you had TB during this time, even though it was highly treatable, you were fairly quarantined for a great amount of time for treatment. Most of the time, you, I mean, they would let vis visitors come see you, um, but it was very rare for somebody to spend, uh, you know, an extended amount of time in there with you. Once Juliet was admitted and she was receiving antibiotics for the treatment, Henry and Hilda packed and took their trip back home. Henry thought that he was going to represent the university, but there was an alternative motive here from the university and the higher-ups. They suggested that maybe, since Henry was going back to England, it would be in his best interest to look for other employment opportunities. This is coming from the same university that was beyond thrilled to be receiving a man of his level of education for the position. But it sounds like they were pretty fed up with whatever Henry's um, beliefs were and the way he educated. I don't know. Something came up and the university decided, mm, we don't really want you as much as we thought we did. So go ahead and start looking for another job while you go represent us in England at this um Congress thing. Well, when Henry told this to Hilda, it really became important that she go with him because if they were going to make the move back to England, she needed to be scouring for somewhere to live 
while he was caught up in meetings. And it just furthered the excuse that the two needed to travel together. And, and this was not a leisure trip, even though they were going to turn it into one. Um, it wasn't any longer a leisure one. And it was a huge blow to Henry's ego. Back in New Zealand, Juliet would spend 112 days inside of the sanatorium for treatment of her tuberculosis, during which she relied heavily on Pauline and the lady that was hired to come in and do basic care for her. So this is what I was talking about. They're basically quarantined except for a few visits here and there. They Somebody needed to come in and pick up all of her clothing and wash it. They needed to pick up letters to mail, and they needed to be kept updated with the latest on Juliet's health and her treatment so that when Hilda or Henry rang for their daughter, they knew what was going on. So they hired somebody to do this for them. And then Pauline was able to convince her mom a few times to take her to the hospital and let her see Juliet for just a short amount of time. By all definition, she was alone during this 112 days. She wrote Pauline very often and under many different nicknames that Pauline had for her. The two were writing every single day. Sometimes they would write three or four times that day to each other under different pseudonyms. Pauline was doing her best to document all that was going on while Juliet was basically quarantined away so that she could feel as though she was there for all of it. Her friend did not want her to get down and, and have the blues about not being able to go and do the same as Pauline. So she was doing everything she could to kind of keep that from happening. Now, during her time inside, Juliet simply wrote short, no banter, little letters to Hilda and Henry. 112 days. How many letters would you have wrote? To your parents, think about it. Probably one for every day, right? She wrote two. That's it. They're very short, very quick to the point, very clip, you know, nothing overly revealing about what was going on. But for Pauline, the you know, they were writing each other six, seven, eight page letters three or four times a day. There was still a social life to be had. A few other friends from the girls' um, school would come and visit with Juliet, but Pauline was not happy with their visit. She often just scowled at the girls until they left, thinking, you know, she doesn't like you. What are you doing here? I'm her best friend, not you, kind of thing. That's how I see it. Girls are petty. We're horrible. It's fine. It's fine. We're all fine. Pauline was portraying herself like Juliet and the Humes more and more every day. Her accent had changed to mimic theirs. Her grammar had changed so that she spoke similar to Juliet. Pauline was making her identity just like the family that she wanted desperately to belong to. The friendship between Juliet and Pauline grew with strength during this time, and the bond that these two would become known for was that and much more. During the 112 days stay, Things were changing for Pauline on the outside. Not to say that Juliet didn't go through the same phase. However, Pauline was going through this phase where she liked boys. But while Juliet was away and she couldn't hang out with her friend every single day, 
Pauline became extremely interested in the opposite sex and in sex. One of the boys that caught her eye was one that she met attending a party that Dr. Henry Hume had kind of thrown for the new incoming students. And both Julia and Pauline were there for that. And Pauline met somebody. He, he caught her eye. He was, he was not from New Zealand. He was from somewhere else. His name Jahai. And she just kind of was smitten with this boy. And she had her first crush at the age of 14. And when you're 14, your crush means a little bit more than just liking someone. It also means that hormones come into play. It means that deep down in the pit of your stomach, it flips with more than just a stolen glance or, you know, a small smile tossed in her direction. She becomes hungry for intimacy. Her body's desire to be touched by the opposite sex is a carnal response. We, we need that in order to feel good about ourselves. And here she was. She was, you know, I, she was in love with this boy and she was going to do everything she could in order to lose her virginity while Juliet was away. And it gave her time to socialize outside of just Juliet as well. And I, I, I don't know what she chose to do with her free time probably isn't the best idea because, you know, back then promiscuity was super frowned on for the most part, whether you were, no matter your religion, you would shun somebody in your community who was, who had premarital sex. Your community would shun them, no matter your religion, because it wasn't acceptable. You, you were supposed to save yourself for marriage, for your husband, and that was the only person you were supposed to have this carnal response with. But Pauline was having it at 14. Every other teenager in the world has this at 14 years old. They start to like the opposite sex or same sex. They start to like people so much more that their body response is... I need you to touch me. Just, you know what I mean? So I'm not sure that if Jaha 100% reciprocated the same feelings towards Pauline, but nevertheless, the two started to spend time together. And it was at night and on Pauline's terms. The two had discussed sex in general, sex with each other, but in the end, neither one of them did anything to each other, even though at one point they ended up in bed together. Still, nothing happened. I think the threat of the law in New Zealand at the time was something that played a major role in why Jaha didn't um, move forward with Pauline's very, I mean, I don't want to call her easy, but she was. She was ready to give it to her was willing to take it from her. The legal ramifications said that if, if these two people slept together and the boy was significantly older than the girl, that it could be the boy, the man, could be charged with a sexual offense and it could 
cost him anywhere from six months to one year in prison. And it would be on your permanent record for the rest of your life. And if you're a college student who's seeking to, you know, find a better life through education, this is not what you want on your record. You don't want people to think that you're a sexual deviant. So I'm hoping, well, I'm not hoping. I think this is what played a huge role into why Pauline and Jaha never went any further than just talking about sex. With Jaha's reservation about betting Pauline and what this could do to him and his reputation throughout life, Pauline found that she had an eye for another student and another, and actually this person was boarded into the Reaper house because at some point during Pauline's young life, the Reapers opened their home up to boarders. This was a way for them to earn money um, and, and be able to afford just to survive. And when this boy moved in, he's a student of the same university, only this time he's a law student and now he's staying with the Reapers. And he caught Pauline's eye and maybe he would be willing to give her what she wanted, which was sex. She wanted to give up her virginity. On July 12th of 1953, Pauline found herself in bed with the young law student and the two succeeded in what I would consider a very heavy petting situation. Um, from Pauline's journal entries, it's known that the two attempted sex during this time, but for one reason or another, her virginity remained intact. So, and so what does that do? Drives you wild and you are ready to do whatever it takes to make that urge go away. So on July 15th, that's three days later, the two would try again. During their first late night rendezvous, they were in his bed in the home. But this night, they decided that maybe her bedroom would be a better location to try again. I don't know if it would cause her to be more relaxed. I don't know. Whatever the reason, the two attempted it again in Pauline's room. And can you guess what happened? Yep, Bert caught the young man in his daughter's bed and lost his cool. I'm sure there was more to what actually happened between the law student and Bert, but I can assume it was more than just get the hell out of my house. He obviously lost his room and board there at the Reaper home and Pauline paid the price. She, she wrote in her journal that she was left terribly cut up following the punishment of being caught with this young man. And she considered herself in love with him. And I use that term loosely, as we know that at this age, love comes on the heels of hormones and nothing more. So technically, is it love? Probably not. More of it's more lust and puppy love and that desire. And once you've made progress with another human being to that point, you you, you think, well, I, my chances of seeing this through are great, right? So you keep seeing that person. But can I say she was actually in love? I, I don't know. I feel like Pauline threw that term around quite a bit and used it to justify what she was doing, whether it be with Juliet or with Jaha or with this law student, whatever the case may be, I think Pauline used it as a justification that what she was doing was fine, was okay. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. On August 30th, Henry and Hilda returned to the island and returned to the life and responsibilities they had left behind. Hilda, of course, made sure to bring back gifts for everyone, including Nora, who received a powder compact from Hilda as a gesture of thank you for her kindness towards Julia during their absence. Pauline, of course, received several gifts as well, as Hilda did quite often so as to not let Pauline feel left out. Within three days of her parents' return to the island, Juliet was released from the sanatorium. Her condition on the road to recovery was enough that medical staff didn't feel the risk outweighed the reward. So she was able to return home to the Hulme home. But the scar of being forgotten and that feeling of abandonment by her parents was still very fresh and she took it out on them. The highlight of being released from the hospital was that Pauline was allowed to go with Hilda and Henry when they picked up their daughter and all of her belongings. On this day, Pauline wrote her feelings down just as her mother had instructed her to do with her journal, but one admission would give way to the gossip surrounding the two girls and their relationship. It said, quote, it was wonderful returning with Juliet. It was as if she never had been away. I believe... I could fall in love with Juliet. Was this a way of describing the platonic feelings that she had for her best friend? Or was it a, the possible awakening of her sexuality and her body and her hormones? It let her blur the lines of what was acceptable and what was not. Did she really feel like she could love a woman and a man? You know what I mean? You, there's all these questions that arise from this line. Many automatically jump to the fact that she was in love with Julia in, in a romantic way. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, possibly. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if Pauline was that way. And it's not a bad thing either. That's the other thing. This time period that we're talking about, yes. It's hush-hush, you don't talk about it, it's not accepted. But had she fallen in love with Juliet, it wouldn't be a bad thing. However, I'm not sure if Juliet felt the same about Pauline in the romantic way. I'm wondering if Pauline was on a different realm than Juliet. I don't know, maybe. Whatever the case may be, Juliet, she was just thrilled to be able to be outside, be able to go to her room, be able to hang out with her friend. But her parents were going to be punished for what they did to her. They neglected her. They abandoned her. 
Henry and Hilda were greeted with a whole new daughter when they got home. When they sent Juliet away when she was five, there was pain and hurt there for the young girl. Her family sent her to live with someone else, and she would not see them again until she was about 10 years of age. She's young enough to remember a time in her life and know that her parents were not there for her as she grew up. But she was not quite old enough to hold on to a grudge like she was at the age of nearly 15. So now she's pissed off. You you send me away anytime anything, you know, remotely difficult shows up and you don't care about me. All you care about is yourself because they didn't postpone their trip when their daughter got sick. They continued on with their plans. So Juliet began acting out against her parents as her way of punishing them. She would hurl insults at them. She would give them a cold shoulder like Hilda would be talking to her and Juliet would just turn and walk away. She, she didn't deserve Juliet's response. And when she didn't get what she wanted, she threw a fit until she did. Henry and Hilda were pushed further and further out of her life. And in, in that process, Pauline grew closer and closer. So as you push one out, one came dragged in. And it was a position that Pauline was all too happy to fill. But still a part of her life was this young man that she had met that had tried to take away her virginity for her. And she was still very, and he was still very much a part of Pauline's life. Living not far away from her house, he boarded into another home, one that let the two have some privacy away from her parents. So when Pauline was sneaking out at night, it was no longer to do long rides on with her best friend on a horse. She's now sneaking out to meet her fella in an unlabeled relationship. Whether the two were courting or not, I don't know. It doesn't state that, you know, anything official had happened considering there's an age difference. Whatever the reason, they were still together. She was sneaking out of the Reaper home at night to go to this other home where he was boarded and the two would spend time together. Come September of 53, Pauline wrote that she was in love with this boy. She had feelings uh, that maybe weren't as strong as those that she had with Juliet. I, I don't want to say she didn't fall in love with Juliet and lost it. You can be in love with one, one more than one person at a time. But I think the difference was this law student was very romantic, um, very less filled, very less driven. And therefore he was able to keep Pauline's attention a little bit longer than Juliet. So during the day, Pauline was with Juliet. During the night, Pauline was this, this man. These two, the law student and Pauline, they would attempt to have sex a couple more times before actually succeeding in October of 1953. Actually, the date October 4th, 1953 is journaled in and Pauline's journals and it states that there was absolutely no doubt that she had given him her virginity. Well, four days after that, since she got what she want, these two get into a disagreement with one another. For Pauline, she was almost relieved that the, that this had happened between them because now she, she had succeeded. She had given up her virginity. She knew what having sex felt like. Um, 
And now, now that she had completed this task, she could drop him like a hot potato and focus back on her friendship with Juliet. He had served his purpose and she really didn't see a reason to keep him around. And now with this argument, she had a reason to get rid of him. On October 28th, the 15th birthday of Juliet, Pauline officially breaks things off with the border. Quote, no longer very much in love with him. It was better if they discon it's better if we discontinue seeing one another. And as he was gone as quickly as he came. Could Pauline have seen that the two were getting too close to one another, threatening to maybe even be more valuable to her than her and Juliet's relationship? I don't know. Is it possible that Juliet did the same thing to Pauline that she had done to her parents? She was punishing her for not giving Juliet all of her time? Probably. None of this is known for sure. This is all part of that pick and choose of, of what you want to believe and what you don't. It's all going to lead you to the same outcome. You know, Juliet's hurt. She feels abandoned by her, her parents, by... And now, you know, Pauline having this boy, I can imagine that she she's terrified that this is going to happen with Pauline again. And so in turn, she possibly guilt trips Pauline into giving up this relationship. It's a it's high probability. I don't want to say that Juliet was this overly selfish person that all she really cared about was herself. I don't think it's this way. I think that she can literally lay the blame at her parents' feet as far as having these feelings of doubt, of feeling like the whole world hates you. You know what I mean? Nobody cares. So her latching on to the relationship with Pauline and holding it in such a way was a huge thing for her. She felt like nobody was on her side. But the other part is she was so smart. She was able to masterfully get what she wanted anytime she wanted it. Juliet was seeking to find this identity to fit who she was feeling like. The Juliet that everyone knew was one that could be easily forgotten. She needed to make herself into a person with a persona that would make her unforgettable. And that's what she was doing. Once she got out of the sanatorium, her priority was to make her a person that no one could forget. Juliet demanded afterwards that she be called Antoinette. This came from a character from the beloved The Prisoner of Zenda. And that one didn't fit her as much as she hoped. So she changed to Deborah. And those around her would would only address her at such if you did not and you were talk if you said, Hey Juliet, what are you doing? She would she would literally ignore you because you did not call her the right name. And she went through several personas until she found one that fit. And Deborah seemed to be the one for her that fit. Then, as Juliet's going through all these and Pauline's watching, she starts to follow in the same footsteps as her friend and decides you know, maybe it's time to reinvent myself. And so she took on a name and a persona of Gina. And this came from a character from Beat the Devil. These two girls would relate to a character on screen and the relation would become 
all-consuming and, and to the point that they wanted to be that person. And that's how these two girls picked up their fantasy world and then picked out who they really were. No longer felt like Juliet and Pauline. We're now, you know, Deborah and Gina. And they refer to each other as such. Juliet or Deborah, whatever you want to call her. I'm going to remain with Juliet because if I try to call her all these other names that she was over those years, we'd all be confused and not know, you know, what's up and what's down. Juliet would never set foot at the girls' high school following her release from the sanatorium. So Pauline was going to school because she didn't have the same luxury of being able to not attend school. She needed to go to school where Juliet's family could help her with her academics. Basically, in layman's terms, Juliet dropped out of high school. This was great for the headmistress, and it was very welcoming news because she no longer had to be concerned with the girls and whatever their relation was blossoming into. However, outside of school, outside of those hours, uh, you know, that relationship was still going strong and these two girls were basically morphing into something that, that they could be considered as one. Pauline would find herself in bed with the law student again come December 12th of 53. The friendship between Juliet and Pauline was now of major concern to Hilda. Hilda's whole point of view on her daughter and her daughter's friend, it changed during that trip that she was gone to England and to the United States. When she came back, she decided, man, you know what? I don't like you two being this close. To Hilda at this point, it was very obvious that their relationship was unnatural. At the concern of both Hilda and Henry, uh, Bert ended up taking his daughter to a local physician, one that was recommended by Henry, as there was major concern that Pauline might be a lesbian. And if she was, then she was definitely in love with Juliet. Whether or not she had feelings towards the same sex, that's neither here or there, right? I have a problem with this <laughs> because during that time, they wanted to change you. And I don't think it's something you change. I think it's something you're born with. And I think it's something of that makes you who you are. So if Pauline liked girls and boys, who gives a rat's ass, right? But during this era, you have to think like that. And you have to realize that if you were of this, of, you know, the way of homosexuality, you hid that. But for Henry and Hilda, they were convinced their daughter's not the problem. She's not the one that has these homosexual tendencies. She doesn't need to be evaluated. Obviously, she's been, you know, 112 days in a sanatorium. They would have figured it out by now. No, the problem is Pauline. So they convinced Bert to take his daughter to be examined. The other problem was Pauline had been losing weight steadily during the time that the Humes were gone. And I think, I know, she developed an eating disorder. And I believe it's bulimia because in a couple interviews, not a couple, just in a quick snippet from Ann Perry, she talks about Pauline having bulimia as she was eating a lot and then she would go and throw it up. For Pauline, 
she lived a life that she felt like she had no control in. Her parents controlled everything outside of that. Then there was Juliet that was controlling things. You know, she felt like she had to give up the law student in order to maintain her friendship. There was so much going on that Pauline felt helpless. And so when you grow up, there's definitely a difference between boys and girls. Bo girls are, we grow up and we see that there's this standard of beauty. And so when we have a problem that we can't fix, when we go through a period where we feel helpless and, and you know, we feel like everybody else has control but us, we tend to latch on to some of the most unhealthiest of things that we can control. Women like to, are more, I don't want to say like to, women gravitate towards eating disorders and, and body self-harming. And this gives them a sense of control. It gives them something they feel like they can control when nothing else in their life feels that way. And for Pauline, she was going through that. She really was. That 1953 was a very trying year for her. And she developed this. So when Henry and Hilda notice that she's losing weight, the relationship is unhealthy, two plus two equals she's a homosexual, right? So they take her to the physician. The physician asks her all of these questions. Um, and Pauline's very short and clipped with yes or no responses. Um, she's very closed off during this evaluation. I would say that he would need further evaluation in order to really come to a conclusion. However, that's not what this physician did. Surprise, surprise. Even though he got very little information out of Pauline, he went ahead and labeled her as having lesbian tendencies for Juliet. Their friendship is only going to further these feelings. And therefore, maybe it's best if Pauline and Juliet kind of cool their relationship for a little bit. And then you have Nora and Bert, who, you know, they don't live an affluent lifestyle like the humans did. So this, it, they feel embarrassed by, it, you know, how could their daughter do something like this? Henry and, and Hilda were boastful that their instincts were right and that Pauline was the problem. Everything that Pauline had once been invited to go and experience with the Hume family was now off limits. She was no longer um, living vicariously through the small invitations from the family. She was left alone in the dust to live a life that, that Bert and Nora could provide to her regardless of Pauline's approval or disapproval. Well, come the new year of 1954, there was a new resolution in the pages of Pauline's journal. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may be dead. Be thankful for all that you have because tomorrow isn't promised. It's a resolution that, that many make come the end of, the, of one calendar year into the next. Many of us still make this, you know, live life to the fullest because tomorrow's never promised, okay? And Pauline, she was just tired of being depressed and withdrawn from life. She was tired of being an outsider to not only the Hume family, but to everyone else as well. The life her parents provided was not the worst 
even though she knew it could be far better. With the new resolution came more and more correspondence with the law student and that she, you know, once loved very much just months before. But even with this young man still hanging on in Pauline's life, Pauline is still hoping that things would change and she and her Pez friend could continue on with their friendship as if nothing more was to come from it. Juliet and her family were away for the holidays and Pauline was working around the house in order to stay on her mother and father's good side. She decided that, you know, if she does what she's told and she, she minds and, and she helps out, maybe, just maybe, they will, you know, calm down a little bit and, and maybe she would be able to see this young man that used to be the border. This was a way that I think to fill that void that Juliet left when her family left on holiday, she decided that she needed to be with this law student. He would fill that. And the only way to do so was, you know, make mom and dad happy, do, do what they want. Even though she was doing all these things around the house, she, she still detested both her parents, but she, you know, you have to live life with the cards you're dealt. And that's what she was trying to do. But in the end, all her er efforts were frivolous because she was instructed not to see him again. On January 16 of 54, Pauline invited the young man to come and help her with her horse. Pauline had been in riding lessons for quite some time due to Julia and her horses and Pauline fell in love with the animals. So she convinced her parents to let her take riding lessons. Well, now that she was doing all these things around the house and helping out, she had saved every little bit of money she had earned and she ended up purchasing herself a horse. Now she found a way to board the horse with a family who already had horses and she would pay them X amount of dollars every week in order to, you know, pay for him to stay there and feed and things like that. She did all of that on her own. Her parents had no idea she owned an animal of this size. But he had gotten out of the stables and they had let Pauline know that she needed to come and catch him and put him back. Well, he, I don't know if he wasn't fully broke or I don't know. Whatever the case may be, Pauline had to go out and she had to try and wrangle this horse back to the stable. She invited her friend, her boyfriend, whatever you want to call him, to come and help her. We, we remember that Pauline suffered from that infection and Pauline has this, you know, perpetual limp. So she wasn't exactly the best person to go and try and... and capture this horse on her own. On this day, she learned that the young man was still very much in love with her, but he had told her that his mother, that Pauline's mother had called and gave him explicit instructions that he would not see Pauline ever again. When he revealed that her mother had phoned him and warned him to stay away, she was livid. The way that she understood her mother was if she continued to do as she was told, go above and beyond like she had been doing since the Humes left for holiday, she would be granted permission to see. That, that was something that, that Nora kind of used to her advantage. You know, 
I will allow this, but you've got to help me do these things first. And Pauline believed her. And now she's finding out that it wasn't true. Pauline started to slide backwards to being withdrawn. This definitely showed her that the control she thought she was gaining over her own life was nothing more than a smokescreen. When Queen Elizabeth II was crowned and she and the Duke of Edinburgh traveled to the island as people watched in awe as the new queen and her suitor traveled through the town of Christchurch as a part of procession to introduce the royalty to the people. Juliet and Pauline found the whole situation beneath them and barely paid, you know, any attention to it. The following day after the procession, the secret horse that Pauline had been hiding away from her parents came to light when there was an issue at where the horse was being boarded. Pauline feared that they would force her to give up the animal, but between the time of the early morning phone call alerting them to the animal and the discussion she had with her parents later in the day where she confesses how she pulled off such a feat, Nora and Bert had already decided to encourage Pauline with the horse and her riding lessons. They hoped that this was just what she needed to separate herself from Juliet and bring Pauline back to who she was before she met the girl. Following that day, Juliet and her parents and the boarder all went out to see the horse that she had been stabling with another family. Later that evening, the Reaper family drank and toasted to the horse. And Pauline, she was all smiles. It seemed as though she and Juliet could be friends. She was welcomed back to the Hume family. Her parents were happy with her decision to purchase a horse and the responsibility that she'd taken on. It was something they, you know, they boasted about. Life was looking up for Pauline. Or so she thought. A friendship that has bonded in a way of that of Juliet and Pauline is one that most would think would last a lifetime. And maybe it could have. In another world, the troubles that they both lived through in a few short years of these two becoming friends would have remained in the past. It's possible that these two would have been torn apart with one staying behind and the other one moving once her parents divorced. Maybe in time they would have come back together, both with more maturity, both with the grasp that spending every waking moment together is not a necessary thing to do in order to maintain the same level of friendship. Would these two continue riding together? Would their fantasy world come to life before them through their words and maybe a motion picture? Instead of one becoming an author, could they have done so together? 
separately. Would Pauline's love for horses and riding stay with her as it has done in her lifetime? Or would these two drift apart by the forced distance and the story of their childhood would remain between those who were there living it? There are so many questions one can ask when looking at this case and ask, what if? Join me next week as we watch these two girls seethe with the promise of being torn apart and develop a plan so that the only option was for them to be together. And this meant the one person standing in the way had to die. But was there more to it for the shy, withdrawn daughter of the victim? Was all the hell that Nora put Pauline through, per her daughter's eyes, worthy of her life? These questions and more will be discussed next week as the murder of Honora Parker rocks the island and these two teenage girls go on trial for the murder of the century. Don't forget you can drop a review on TTCL in this episode. Don't forget to like, share. It's all in an effort to keep the show going. Like I said last week, my book recommendation for this case is Anne Perry and the Murder of the Century by Peter Graham. Go pick that up. The link for the book is in the description of this episode and can be found on Facebook and Instagram. As always, I leave you with one last line. The only thing that makes life unfair is the delusion that it should be fair. Much love, the true crime librarians.